This is the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. Now here at the Menopause Movement, we've surveyed over 50,000 menopausal women. And through this, we've discovered that the number one cause of menopausal suffering for our clients is weight gain. Now you've said things like, how do I lose the mental belly? I don't recognize myself anymore. How can I get me back? When menopause hit me out of the blue, I had no idea what was happening. And when I gained about 50 pounds overnight, I hated what I saw in the mirror. The menopause movement exists to provide world-class transformational education to women who are suffering from the symptoms and effects of menopause. And we're here to give you the education you need to get your life back. We want menopause to be the best time of your life. I mean, it is for me, and I want that for you. After years of trial and error, I finally cracked the code with my menopause weight, and now I want to share with you how I did it. I realized that what helped me the most was a challenge. So we've created a challenge for you to help you lose your mental belly. Simply go to menopausemovement.com forward slash challenge to sign up. I'll see you there. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another fun-filled episode of the Menopause Movement podcast. So excited to be here today with nutritionist Amy White. If you've been fighting the menopausal spread or if you want to learn about nutrition in menopause, this episode is definitely for you. Amy and I talk about the most important aspects of diet while removing all the fluff. We had a really great time and I'm so excited to bring her expertise to the podcast today. Amy is a board certified holistic nutritionist and functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner. She has been working as a nutritionist, health and weight loss coach for over 10 years, and as well as an on-call private nutrition consultant for the patients of a thriving functional medicine practice for the past six years. Amy's hangry to healthy approach to health and weight loss creates a level of metabolic balance that naturally promotes great health and a happy body weight. As Amy explains to all of her clients and patients, going from hangry to healthy is the difference between feeling frustrated and hopeless, fighting against the body to feeling confident and empowered working with the body. Maintaining a happy weight and excellent health without counting calories, struggling with fatigue, pushing through hunger, and feeling deprived of desserts is the reality of escaping hangry and living healthy. During the podcast, we talk about what is board certification for a nutritionist, the history of Hangry to Healthy and how it got started, what happened to make Amy need to go to nutritionist school and why, what food really is, how to get rid of the body fat, the number one reason people fail on a keto or low-carb diet, the think-feel-act cycle, the role exercise plays in weight loss and it's not what you think, when to eat, and stay to the end to find out how to make intermittent fasting easy. At the end of the episode, visit menopausemovement.com forward slash blog, where you can find all the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Yes. If you enjoy this episode, also, please leave a review for this podcast. It helps us to reach more women when you leave a review. And that gives more women the help they need during the disruption of menopause, because again, no one should ever have to go it alone. Thanks again for being a part of the menopause movement. Now let's get to Amy. So uh, Amy, 
Welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm super happy to have you here. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. So you're a, you know, in, in the introduction, I talk about how you're a board certified holistic nutritionist. And so what I want to know is, you know, in, in medicine, we have, we have board certifications, obviously, I'm a board certified general surgeon. And so what is a board certified holistic nutritionist? That is, so there is a, and so there's probably a bunch, I don't know, actually, if there's a bunch of different ones. But I obviously went to uh, the school I went to was called Hawthorne University, and it's holistic nutrition. That's the that's what it is. It's an accredited holistic nutrition school. And after we graduate, we have the opportunity to sit for a board certification exam through the National Association of Nutrition Professionals. Okay. So that took another six to eight months of studying for that exam. So mm -hmm. that's what my board certification is in and through. Board uh, exams are hard. Board exams hard. are freaking hard. And recertifications, I, I had to recertify twice for my, for my uh, surgical, uh, and it was only 100 questions. And I was so nervous. Yeah, so nervous. It's it's really, and it's such a scam too to recertify and, you know, maintenance of certification, all that crap for doctors now. So I mean, I'm not practicing anymore. I'm done with all of that. But I have to recertify every two years. And, and it basically is it's, I was just saying this to somebody else. It's such a scam. It's just money because you yeah. have to go through some more nutrition programs, which actually I love, but it just makes me mad that they, you know, that you need it basically the the number, the 30 CEUs equals this amount of money, essentially. Right. right. It's like, ugh. But it's, it's, it's great. I mean, the programs that I can choose from to do are awesome, but it's just, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, we could, we could talk about about healthcare and and you know I do rip on that sometimes here on the podcast but we won't do that now let's talk yeah. about let's talk about your story like how did you like come to need to develop this hangry to healthy because I love that I've I've always talked about how you know I've I've got a couple words that I've used throughout my life and one of them is mungry oh so that's like when I'm hungry I'm it's like uh, I'm hungry mungry and then the other one is hangry it's like oh I'm I'm and with my recent my more recent since February so it's it's uh this probably isn't going to air until July and so it's currently uh, towards the end of April and since uh, the beginning of February, I actually changed my diet and was able to, I've, I've dropped 16 pounds <gasps> and I'm, and, and I had lost, like I gained a lot with menopause. So I, I lost like 50 pounds before that and I kept it off for a long time, but I still wasn't super happy because I'm really sporty. I'm like, I'm super, super sporty. And I'm like, you know, I know I, my performance will go up if I can drop this extra weight. And so I made a couple changes and I've been able to drop 16 pounds and, and through this, and I still have a goal to, to drop another maybe 20. And, but through this journey, I would call it, it's what's happening is that I started to notice things like when, when I'm preparing food for others and I'm starting to pick I'm like, Oh, I know what this means. I need to eat something and, and that sort of thing. And so it's been, it's been a really great journey of self exploration for me. So let's hear yours and, and especially, Oh, I'm, I'm excited to talk about us food guidelines because we, we know that America is the home of the corporation and the land of the profit. <laughs> I know it's so interesting when you said, tell me about hangry and then my story and, and the way I came up with hangry. Of course, I hear it around as well. But I experienced it. And when you experience it, and I think everybody really has experienced it, if they think back or they think about it, it just, it's just so perfect. It's so descriptive. And so I, this whole thing for me, um, I sort of went into menopause at 
48, so pretty early. So I really was in perimenopause pretty you know, late thirties. So that's when I sort of came to this conclusion. All of a sudden I just had this moment where I was just like, where's my body? You know, like what happened? Uh I'm, I also athletic, active. And all of a sudden I'm like kind of pudgy and uncomfortable and, you know, my joints hurt, my feet hurt and my clothes were too tight, you know, the whole bit. Right. Well, I I think that we need to take an opportunity here and talk about that. The fact that during menopause, because of our hormonal changes, we start to feel like maybe an alien's being down and taking control of our bodies and, and we don't recognize ourselves anymore. And and menopause itself really does feel like a second puberty. Ugh. And it is a change that we don't talk about. And we don't talk about it because it happens to women. It does not be it, because it doesn't happen to men. And so if if this happened to men, if men like went through a phase where they like lost their libido, where they were pudgy where they, you know, they would have been like working on it a long time ago. Right. Personally, I believe this. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. I just wanted to yeah, take no, that no. opportunity. I, and remember I, that that here at the Menopause Movement, we do have the 28-Day Mental Belly Challenge that you can go in and check out at any time. Yeah. yeah. So it, so I it's thir- I think it was like really, it was, thir- I thir- it was 37. So I wasn't thinking menopause. I wasn't thinking no, anything no. like that. Of course, you know, I'm just like, oh, I, I must just, I'm, I'm eating too many treats and, you know, things like that. And so that's when I decided, well, I'm just going to take control. I'm going to, you know, I don't want to be 40 and, and be in this position because everyone tells mm-hmm. me things get way worse when you turn 40. So I'm like, I don't want to be, you know, I'm 37 and things are horrible. I don't want to be 40 and for it to be worse. Right. So that's when I was like, well, I can do this. I can follow the rules. And so I followed the food guidelines. Mm-hmm. So I basically, you know, ate a ton of grains, a ton of fruit, a ton of vegetables. Of course, what I why wouldn't I? They're delicious. I love those. I, I've always craved protein, but I cut way back on the protein. You know, egg whites, you know, the whole, you know, and, ugh. anyway, so I did that for a couple of years because I was just going to stick it out. I'm like, I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So I've set my trajectory and it will work. And so then of course I hit 40. And at this point, I'm just like, it's not working. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm just, and nothing has changed. And this is when I met this idea of hangry. So my husband and I had the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, which is crazy, but his company was a sponsor or whatever. So we ended up getting to go, but yeah. we were on this real regimented schedule because we were with the company. And I remember being so mad because I was like, I need to eat right now. I mean, I was doing that to every two hour eating schedule and yeah. I was just the, a witch and I was so angry at everyone the whole time. And I, I had that moment where I thought, oh my gosh, I have this opportunity, this really cool thing I get to do and I can't be happy. I can, I am only cranky and angry because people are messing up my eating schedule. And it was just that I thought, what is happening? <laughs> um, so that what was a great really real, but the, kind but of that's such a that's such a great uh, realization and and self awareness, right? That that you were able to say, "Wait a minute, I'm doing this like once in a lifetime opportunity here, and all I can think about is food." And I think that that's that's such a great time. So, were you able to like back it off and pay attention to the game? And not and, really. I mean, I was you were still hungry. I, I did recognize what was happening. I just think I doubled down and thought, "I just have to really make sure I'm getting my food every two hours, right. and then of I'll course. feel better." You know, so I, I didn't really go. That, that there's something wrong with this two hour schedule, which is mm. what I should have done. I was just like, well, what? but I, I knew something was I wrong. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't like to say the word should to ourselves, especially. And, and I would say that the fact that you had this, you know, big aha epiphany, you know, during something like that, you know, 
it was the catalyst to 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 make your changes. And so I think that's super important to to recognize, and and not to say, well, I should have done this, I should have, you know, because then that just that just leads us to misery. Well, and, it, it sort of was my catalyst, but I knew something was wrong. But my right. catalyst came because I had to. My daughter was sick, so we okay. had to figure out how to fix her. So before we move to your daughter, though, I want to know who was play, who was playing in the Super Bowl. It was in Texas, and it was. Uh, it wasn't the Patriots, and that's my team. So I actually have no idea who it was. You don't remember was, what um, year it was? I know was or it anything? was that it was the Green Bay Packers. Okay, um, and I forget who they were playing. All right, um, but they. Won. I'm sure that I'm sure that they're the the Packers won that year. I think with so, Aaron Rodgers, we were with Packers fans. I see. Okay, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know all the. Super, there are people out there who remember everything, but I just wanted to get that detail for the audience because people are going to want to know well, which Super Bowl was it and who was playing. It was it? Texas. And it was the Packers. So it was in the Houston, uh, like Astrodome? It was Houston, or, yes. Yeah, yeah okay. Years ago it was at this point, a lot, probably 10. <laughs> yeah, okay. So then, so then, you know, you, you, you have this thing that happens, you know, you, you started to realize it, and then your daughter gets sick. So what well, happened to Well, I started realizing that what I was, what I was yeah. doing certainly wasn't working. And then I was right. like freaking out because I, was, sure. like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I'm doing it right. So this is it? Yeah. Um, so anyway, my daughter got sick. So I ended up going to nutrition school because we had to figure out how to fix her. And we, we did this. I did a lot of reading and I was researching and figuring stuff out. And so we changed her diet and she got better. And what I kind of husband, sickness did she have? She had this. So ever since she was a colicky baby and ever mm -hmm. since she was a little kid, um, I remember a pediatrician when she was probably six or seven being like, well, she just has reflux. She just needs to be on antacids. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I didn't know kids were on antacids. That's interesting. Okay. You know, I didn't know anything. Yeah. And um, she never took them because they didn't really work, thank goodness. But now she's getting ready to go to college. And I said, you know, we can't have you going to school and not feeling good when you eat food. Because at this point, we couldn't go to restaurants because she'd end up having a little bit and have to go sit outside on the curb. Because she mm -hmm. would, she'd think, she'd describe it as this pressure that she would get in her chest. Mm -hmm. and, and so everybody thought it was reflux. Anyway. So, so she, so it felt like reflux, like a pressure in her chest. Yes. She okay. just like would get shortness of breath and. So anyway, we saw a gastro doc. Finally, I'm like, let's just take it this taken care of. And I said, can we, we just need to do a scope. We just need to see what's going on. And again, I didn't even know what that entailed. I had no idea. And of course it entailed anesthesia and recovery room. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but anyway, yeah. we ended up doing it because the doc wanted to put uh, Like an upper, an upper endoscopy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so she went in, we did it. And uh, I met her in the recovery room and the doc came in and she's like, good news. She's great. There's no sign of reflux. Her esophagus is beautiful. Everything's great. And I thought, okay, but she wasn't, you know, nothing changed since the time we came in to now. So I'm not mm -hmm. sure what that means. And the doc's right. like, well, she's fine. And, and then she started to leave and then she stopped and she turned around and she said, I mean, her small intestine is red and inflamed, but that's nothing. So don't worry about that. And then she left. Oh, come on. So she, so she did a push enteroscopy into the duodenum, looks in the duodenum, sees that it's inflamed and doesn't, doesn't even do a biopsy. Nothing. Wow. She said it's fine. And she literally said to me, don't, it's nothing to worry about. And I thought she had SIBO. Like, well, it wasn't SIBO. So no, she, it was basically she was on her way to celiac. So she mm. is very gluten intolerant. We learned. Okay. 
super gluten intolerant. Have you tried just to know, because I know lots of people who are gluten intolerant, but can can eat gluten from Europe? Yes, we haven't. We've been in Europe, but it was young, she was younger. So it was before this. So we didn't even think to know this. You can get flour from France on Amazon. Oh, and, interesting. And so, because remember, Monsanto is everywhere here. And Monsanto's, all of their, almost all of their products have Roundup in them. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it's glyphosate. Glyphosate. Glyphosate, yeah. And so that's poison. And I think that that's, I, I really do believe that that's a big part of why we see so much more celiac in America now is because of that. Oh, I agree. It's changed. Well, once we got the gluten out of her diet, that was step sure. one. Yeah. I mean, her body was trying to detox since she was a kid. She always had right. super smelly feet, really bad dandruff. That stuff was gone in a week. I mean, as soon wow. as we got that, you know, her body stopped freaking out. We had to, she's since then, she's 28 now. She's since then, she's had to adjust her diet a little bit more. She she knows she reacts not great to cheese, but she can get away with some cheese. So she's, mm -hmm. you know, in and out with the cheese. But there are other things that she doesn't eat because they don't. But the gluten, like I made something recently and she's like, mom, there's gluten in this. And I said, no, no, I, I make this all the time. You eat it all the time. And she's like, mom, there's gluten in it. And she had to go sit outside on our front stairs. And the middle of the night, I thought, what, what did I do differently? And I had run out of baking powder. So I had mm -hmm. some in my pantry, but it was just something old. It, but it didn't say gluten-free on it. And oh, I it literally wow. it was a teaspoon of baking powder in the entire recipe. And it and she had it and she reacted. So wow. it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. So she said she literally, she, unless she's had a, a mistake like that, which very rarely happens, she hasn't had gluten since she was 17. Is she a biopsy proven celiac or is she No, no, just, no. I okay. would say she was never there. I don't think she was ever celiac. I think because her small intestine was red and inflamed, I think if we hadn't intervened, that she could have gone down that road. Yeah. So celiac is um is is really an interesting issue because you know I don't know the pathophysiology and and maybe you do, but I I never had to as a as a doctor work with anybody. I mean I worked with people, but I never had you know it's not something it's not a surgical problem, right? Like Crohn's or or inflammatory right. bowel disease, and so in in the celiac it's like there are people who are true celiacs where you take a biopsy and they have, it's like a genetic problem and they cannot process gluten. And then there's people who have inflammatory reaction. It's almost like an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm probably, I'm not the best person to talk about this, you know, but, but I'm just thinking that we, we spend a lot of time talking about food. We spend a lot of time talking about how our genes are made up of what we choose to eat. And it's really interesting that, that it's almost like we're going back to basics now, trying to say, look, just eat whole, whole real food. You know, now we've had COVID and, you know, we see a lot more people with gardens and, you know, so it's, it's really, I just, you know, I, I, I just think so much, so much can be solved by just eat real food. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So let's go back to the story of your daughter. So you, you figured out that she was gluten intolerant. You fixed that problem. And what was next? I, I was hooked. I looked at my husband. And I said, I've run out of things to read. I said, I'm going to have to go back to school because they'll have a reading list. <laughs> nice. He's like, okay. And so that's when I started researching nutrition schools. And we were in Chicago at the time. And I had all these universities around me. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just do the dietetics program. And I started reading the syllabus and I thought, hmm, that's exactly what I no longer believe. 
So I could do the program, but I'd have to sit through these classes and kind of cringe. And I thought, so there's got to be something else. And that's when I discovered this idea, holistic nutrition. I was like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, there we go. Now we're talking. Because I basically had discovered that food was magic. And I just yeah. was like, I need to understand how this works. So in doing that, I figured out myself. All of a sudden, food and the body started to make sense. And it, yeah. all of a sudden, I was looking at the food guidelines and I'm like, hold on a second. Wait, <laughs> that doesn't, it doesn't match up. And so I started to shift what I was doing based on what I was learning. And all of a sudden, my body started responding the way that I expected it to. So I, I refer to it as this communication problem because food is information. So if we want to communicate with our body, we use food. But if we're not telling our body the right story, it's going to, so it's, I say, it's like a, it's like a, a very obedient three-year-old, you know, your body's trying to do the right thing. It's always listening, but it's very literal. So if you're not telling it exactly what it is you want it to know, it's going to do what it, what you're telling it. So most of the time we're telling our, so I wanted to have great energy. I wanted to be lean, strong, you know, fit into my clothes, sleep well. And so I thought that's what I was telling my body. But my body's over here going, okay, so we want to pack on the weight. We want to put stuff in storage. We want to sit very quiet and still. So we want to be tired so we don't burn off any energy. So that's the story I was telling my body. Right. Because of, because of the food pyramid. So I think, I think there's an opportunity here for a couple of things. And the one, the one that, that we talk about a lot inside of our programs is that there's a ton of belief around food and just like religion. It really is just like religion. People are very uh, stuck in their ways when it comes to food and and beliefs about what is right. And the first thing that we have to do if we want to get healthy is to just come at it as if we were infants and, you know, let go of all, you know, try and have a child's mind toward it so that we can make the changes that we need to make. And, when th that's kind of what I did when I finally asked for help, I'm like, okay, look, I've done as much as I can by myself. And I talked to a, a bodybuilder actually. And I said, look, tell me how I can get lean. And so we set up a plan and I started counting macros. And I always thought counting macros was bullshit. I really did. I, I always thought, you know, don't count macros, don't count macros. And, and once I started counting macros, I started losing weight. And so it's, it, you know, started hitting my protein goals and, and all those things. Right. And so, but the only thing I could do was just like, change my beliefs i had to, and i already knew that that you know sugar and grains you, you eat those sparingly and you eat them only you know at certain times like if you want to put on muscle then you know that kind of thing but right. but again the, the point is is that there's there's a religiosity and when you look at the history of food policy in america and what ansel keys did with making fat the enemy because of his flawed seven country study. I think that we have, uh, <laughs> he's a smirk. You know, we have an opportunity to say, look, there's no truth here. And basically, we know that sugar, and this is, I get this from Dr. Kate Shanahan, sugar makes everything sticky. Sugar makes everything sticky. And, and so when you eat more sugar, you're going to have more, uh, there's going to be more, ability for your body to create uh, atherosclerosis and things like that. When you eat nature's nature's real fats, then, you know, because nature doesn't make bad fats, another Kate Shanahanism. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I, she's on, been on the podcast twice now. And so, um, yeah, she's awesome. And so when you eat those things, then your, your body's like, oh, yeah, good stuff. 
and and you know you don't have as much in the way of atherosclerosis and and your your LDL gets more fluffy and all those things, right? And so the the point of this is is that we have this opportunity to really and for all the listeners to really look at everything you believe about food. And if you can come at this with a child's mind and say, hmm, maybe what I learned in school wasn't right because they don't have my best interest at heart. They want me to buy corn. They want me to buy cheese and dairy because when it comes to creating the recommendations, that's all run by corporations and lobbies and the lobbyists get into the farm bill and the and say, we want this, we want this, we want this. And so it's it's really they don't care about our health. And it's so hard to come to that realization that the government doesn't care about us really at all, our health. They just want our money. I actually, you're reminding me that, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, as, as I was getting into the nutrition stuff. So I was, I was already getting my master's and I was talking to a girlfriend of mine about breakfast cereal or something. Mm. And I said, don't, it's not good for you. It's not good for your kids. And she's like, they wouldn't let, they wouldn't sell it if it wasn't good for us. <laughs> and I was just like, and she, this, she's super smart, you know, lawyer, you know, just yeah. really cool woman. And I just thought, what? I'm like, yes, they would. But she really <laughs> was like, no, they wouldn't do that. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Well, that's what people put their trust there. And did you see that whole saga of the guy who had shrimp in his, uh, yeah. It was Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. My husband's like, that's a scam. He's like, that's not real. No, but it's I'm real. Like, I don't know. I think it is. No, it's real. Yeah. It's real. I don't think he, I mean, the guy, the guy's it was like, gross. You know, it was pretty gross. Yeah. And I think he sent it, you know, and then they tried to say, they tried to fob it off and yeah, it was really bad. So it was gross. All right. I spent some time talking to Dr. Kate Shanahan about fat burn. Uh, just, so I don't think we've, I, I don't think we've published that one yet. So I'm trying to think about how we did talk a little bit about insulin resistance. And so you mentioned here, insulin resistance, pre-diabetes, type two diabetes and body size. So you want to speak a little bit about that and, and what you're, well, yeah. so how you treat that? So again, I'm a, a huge fan of Kate Shanahan. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Dr. Ted Naiman. I'm not sure if you know him. Uh, Marty Kendall. Also, um, my probably my favorite metabolic hormone and insulin researcher is Dr. Ben Bickman. Mm -hmm. So the thing that's interesting about insulin resistance, so everybody's like, it's like this hot thing, right? Every oh, I'm insulin resistant, but you can be very, very overweight and not be insulin resistant. True, you can be very skinny and thin and look incredibly healthy and have type two diabetes. So. Body size isn't necessarily that thing that's gonna, you know, tell you one way or another if you're healthy or not. Um, however, typically, if you are, if there is insulin resistance because you have chronically high insulin levels, you're going to tend to carry that extra weight around the middle. So that's more of that apple shape that you see. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I guess when with the insulin resistance, the prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, I think one of the things that I always try to get across to people is don't think that you're healthy and you can get away with eating all this sugar and not worry about your diet if you're not carrying a lot of extra weight. Two of my friends within the last six years were diagnosed as type 2 diabetics and you would look at these women and think they were very fit. They're wow. very tiny. And yeah, it's so... That's something that I, I run across a lot, you know, and, and then the people that 
anyway, um, I don't know if that answered your question. Well, no, I, what I want to know is, so what's your experience with, so if let's say your friend comes to you and she's skinny, but she's just been diagnosed with type two diabetes. I mean, what do you do? Do you put her on a keto diet? I mean, how do you treat this? So I've, I've really transitioned a lot and I am not a fan of, I am a fan of low carb, low sugar, keto, all of it, but I'm not a low, I'm not a high fat keto person. I agree with you. Fat, yeah. Fat's a nine, nine calories per gram. Right. Yeah, so, so, and I don't count calories. I do look at macros like you, yeah. do, but it's the, I see all these people who jump on the keto bandwagon and then they either like, it doesn't work for me. I gained weight. I can't lose weight. But then they're pounding all of this fat. It's too much fat. Yeah. And it's Jimmy not Moore, what you're putting in. It's what you're taking out. Yeah. Do you know who Jimmy Moore is? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Jimmy Moore talks about, you know, like when he, when he was trying to fix his, his problem with, with being overweight, he went keto and he started eating better with every meal. Yeah. And I think he reached a plateau. I mean, I, you know, as last I saw, I, I haven't followed him for quite a while, but Last I saw, he was still pretty overweight, you know. He, he gained a lot of weight back. Yeah. And the the thing is, is that, you know, if you want to get lean, there there are there's ways to eat, you know, and, and one of them is to eat more protein. And, and, and that's, I mean, that's the- I'm the, with you. Listen, at the end of the day, this is not a belief, this is science. And right. so for those of you who like really, really want to get your body back, if, 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 that's, if that's something you want, all right? You know, obviously we have our 28 day middle belly challenge and you can come into that and that's fine to get started, you know, but if you, if you, if what you, and, and, and we'll give you some support and all those things. Right. But the key is protein. And I've heard, I had heard that before, but I, it's, for some reason it just didn't click. And then I had uh, this guy that I work with, his name is Mike. And I, and he, and he said, why don't you just let science work for a while? And I was like, oh my God. And it just, I don't know. It just, broke down everything because I had this belief that I had to eat more vegetables that I had to eat, you know, that, that, that was the only thing I had, I could do. And he said, listen, do it this way, follow your macros. And I guarantee you, you're going to get lean because that's how it works. This is science. And when he said, this is science, I said, I'm a scientist. I've got to follow science. Right? <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to women who are, you know, obviously women who are coming into menopause and noticing this middle belly. And, you know, we know a lot of it has to do with sleep and cortisol and those sorts of things. But let's talk a little bit about how the body uses fuel and what that means. Well, first of all, so back to this idea of insulin, it is important. Insulin is a storage hormone. A hormone. Mm -hmm. So it does put your body into storage mode. So the yeah. more insulin we have circulating regularly, the more your body is actually going to be like, we can't use anything we have stored, we need to use any fuel that's coming in. So fuel. So we have, let's call it four compartments. So we have sugars, we have uh, glycogen, which is our stored sugars, then we have fatty acids that come in with our food. So the fats that we're eating, mm -hmm. and then we have body fat, and they're all separate, but interconnected. But it's also kind of a top down system it's thinking of sugars at the top, very tiny little compartment. Then we have our glycogen, maybe a teeny bit bigger than what we can hold in our blood sugar. Then we have our fatty acids, not huge. And then we have, blood, you know, then we have body fat, tons and tons of storage. So you have to, in order to release and use body fat, you have to, you have to deplete the upstream fuel compartments 
down mm. to a healthy level, not deplete them empty. That's not healthy, but deplete them back to their natural healthy level. So there's some space in those compartments. And once we do that, all of a sudden we have room to release body fat back up into the system and go, oh, here, I have some fuel you can use because now you have space to use this. But if we're overeating our sugars and carbs, then that top compartment is always full and likely overflowing, filling our glycogen. So that's always full. And then we're never going to be burning fatty acids because we have all of these sugars we have to get rid of. So actually the fats that you eat go into body fat. Mm. Um, so basically we want to start depleting those upstream fuels if we want to get rid of the body fat that we're carrying around. So yeah, let's bring those sugars down to a normal healthy level. So eat, you know, if you like vegetables, eat your non-starchy vegetables. Fantastic. You know, eat some berries if you really want to have some fruits or low sugar fruits. Yeah. Then with with your food, let's prioritize the protein. And yeah, you're going to get fats with your food. There's fat in your eggs. There's fat in your ribeye steak. There's yeah. fat in your salmon. So do you need to slather that in a saucy, cheesy, fatty sauce? No, you're getting fat in your food and you're getting just enough fat. So your right. fatty acids are, you have some in your bloodstream, but it's not overflowing. So again, prioritizing those proteins, keeping your sugars low enough, and then you basically are using your fat. Well, you can do it either way. Use your fat lever or your carbohydrate lever to manage satiety. So with my women who my, my clients tend to be 50 and older, kind of dealing with menopause. So we come in and we start dealing with the sugars, getting that insulin down, working on sleep. Let's bring the cortisol down because that cortisol will shoot your insulin up. So we got to bring all that down. So once you, once you bring the insulin down, you're going to stop telling your body to put on fat. And that meno belly, Ben, ben Bickman just was explaining this the other day. It was so interesting. And he said, so our hormones, our estrogen and our androgens tell our body where to put the fat. And so in women, it's going to be your breast tissue, your hips, your butt. And in men, it's going to be around your belly. So as women's estrogen depletes in menopause, all of a sudden, you know, we're get, they're getting that signal now to put body fat on around their waist. It's no yep. longer going to those places it used to go. And so the, the trick is to get your body to stop telling you to put on fat. So it's not like you don't want to put it on anywhere. Regard, you know, at this point, you're go, it's going around your middle. So what we need to do is stop telling the body to actually start to put on the body fat. And that's what I tend to see with my clients. Once I get them off the sugar and get them to prioritize the protein and naturally eat less because they're getting this nutrients their cells want. So their body's yeah. going to stop telling them to keep eating. All of a sudden, they feel better. They look better. They start dropping the weight. And, but it just, you know, it's not like this huge struggle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, that's, that's one thing that I noticed that, that especially for me as a, you know, postmenopausal woman with uh, weight to lose, I, I was like, I want, you know, I want to, to lose the weight, but I don't want to feel hungry because then I just feel deprived. And when I feel deprived, then I feel like, you know, that, that, that inner child is like, no, give me ice cream. No, give me chocolate. No, do this. And today actually is my son's 28th birthday. And we've been, I, I actually set this as a, as kind of a goal. Like I'm going to follow this diet until my son's birthday. And then I'm going to have a day, just a complete day off, do whatever I want. And then I'm going to go right back to it. 
And so it's a, it's, you know, what we like to call a planned indulgence. And so I've made, I made caramel popcorn and I, and I've, you know, for, for dessert and we're having ice cream and we're having his favorite foods, fried chicken and waffles. And I'm going to eat those things. And then right back to regular tomorrow. What I always tell my clients when they have that kind of an indulgent day or they find themselves at a wedding or wherever, I'm like, it's just data. Fantastic. So take that information you're going to get from having this wonderful day and think about how did you sleep? How did you feel? How was the next day? Where were your cravings? It's just data. It's fantastic. Use it as data so you can kind of go, oh, yeah. That's the same thing with the scale. I, 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 may not always love what the scale says, but every single day I step on it and I just write it down because, you know, it, it, weight loss, we, we, number one, we can't let the scale be the thing that tells us who we are. And there's also a lot of other wins that you can get. Even when the scale isn't moving, you might be losing inches. And so we like to say in our 28 day minnow, minnow belly challenge, we say what gets measured gets managed. So you can put your head in the sand and not, and not do it. Or you can actually, you know, measure your, measure your, your waste every single week, like we ask you to, and, and you're going to, you know, you're going to see changes. Um, but for me, it was like for the, for the first, I would say six weeks when the scale would go up or when it would stay the same for a couple of weeks, I'd be like, Ugh. and now that, that I've like, I mean, I'm at a weight that I haven't been at since God, I want to say maybe 2007. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, I now I look at it every day and I'm like, you know, I, I as long as it's below that number, I'm like, I, I don't care. <laughs> it's it's right? just a, it's like I'm just so grateful and I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And then and then what's happening I've noticed is because I'm super sporty and I and I'm training right now for a 5K that I'm gonna do um on the nineteenth of June. And I did my fastest four hundred meters ever ever yes. since I've been recording. Um, and it's just, and, and I had, you know, I had a bad injury in 2018. And so I didn't run for almost two years. And so coming back from that and, and now with the weight loss and, and just seeing incremental improvements, that's the thing. That's, I, I just, you know, I want to encourage the audience that you don't have to do everything all at once. And, and like Ryan Levesque says in the, in the interview I have with him, you don't have to get it perfect. You just have to get it going. And it's so important to remember that it's progress over perfection, progress over perfection. Yeah. Set the dominoes and, and, up and accountability. Sure trajectory is correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I always Definitely. say, I always say you can't change what you don't know. Same. You just, you have to track. And it drives yeah. me crazy when people get so sucked into the scale because they are completely, and I'm like, well, how are you sleeping? Oh, my God, I'm sleeping through the night. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, how are your clothes fitting? Oh, well, Mike, I think I might need to buy new pants. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, and it's just like, work with me here. Why is it yeah. just the scale? And you just, and you're discounting everything else that feels good. Oh, your knees don't hurt anymore. Wow. That's amazing. You know, ah, so, so this is, this is great because like, I discovered this really super easy caramel recipe online. Okay, super easy salted caramel recipe. And it's basically sugar, it's a cup of sugar, a cup of cream, six tablespoons of butter, and a little bit of salt. And it's just super easy, super forgiving, easy, easy to make and delicious. Okay. Yes. And so I made it a couple of days in a row a few few months ago before I started in January, I would say. And I was, I was like, I had this idea for a dessert. This is the dessert we're having tonight. And I was like, okay, what would it taste like if I cooked popcorn in bacon grease and then added caramel to it 
and then put some chocolate drizzle over it with some homemade vanilla ice cream. Mm -hmm. So I served that. We have a we have a bubble that comes and visits every Friday. And I served that to the bubble. And one of the people is a is a professional chef. And she said, This is a five-star dessert. This is a, you know, this is a Michelin, Michelin star dessert. And I said, that's great. And so then, but what happened was I, I just really love the taste of caramel. It's just, Me I, I mean, I just, just, it's one of my favorite flavors ever since I was a kid. And so like I ate it, I ate a whole bunch of it. And then two days later, my knees started hurting. My back started hurting. I wasn't sleeping. And I was like, oh, wow sugar mm -mm. Yeah. and but i was able to put it together for the first time in my life and we have this sugar cleanse that we do here at the menopause movement and what happens is that people go through it and then they don't realize they're off sugar and then all of a sudden they're starting to move mm -hmm. their bodies like i don't know where all this energy is coming from <laughs> and, but you know because because it's so one percent improvements right it's, this is what it is. And John Wooden said it best. You, you, you know, you, John Wooden was the, he was the coach of the, of the UCLA Bruins basketball team that was the winningest basketball team ever in the history of basketball. And he said, you know, when you do these things, your athlete, they're going to, they're going to have a 1% improvement in conditioning and a 1% improvement and maybe in, in their jump. And it doesn't feel like anything, but those add up. So over time, you have these cumulative improvements where it feels like a quantum leap. And that's what I want for everyone who's on this podcast, who's listening to this podcast or watching this, this video, that when you have 1% improvement every week, that's not 52%, right, for a year. Because you've got a one percent improvement. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to. Do. Somebody want to do the math and send it in to me? That's fine, but I, you know, it's probably closer to seventy-five. It's exponential, right? Yeah, it's because you're you're adding one percent. If you can, if you can do it one percent every week, then you're at, you know, you've got cumulative improvements, and they add up. And so, you know, you look back, and so it's super important to always look back and say, yes, what did I do? When did I start? And how did and how have I how have I changed over this this amount of time? And when you're a high performer, like I am, when you're if you're the type of person who really wants to always, always, always be at your at their best, and it sounds like you're the type of person too, where you said, I've got to go back to school, because I've yes. exhausted my you want to go back, you, you want to just and, and we track this in our business. It's like, okay, every week, we have these things that we're going to do. And then every quarter, we're going to say, okay, let's, let's go back and look and see exactly what we did. And the growth is is crazy. Mm -hmm. But because that's what what gets measured gets managed. Right. right. So let's talk for a second about why people fail. So if you're the type of person who wants to, you know, obviously lose weight, and, and most women in menopause, in our in our data, and we've surveyed 10s of 1000s of women, it's about between 46 and 48% of the audience is like, we want to lose the minnow belly. Right. And so, and, and keto, of course, is this big craze that, that, you know, is out there and has been out there for a while. I mean, it's not new because it started as a, as a diet for children who had epilepsy. And then they saw that the side effect was weight loss. So what, uh, what is the number one reason that people fail on a keto or a low carb diet? I think it's because they overeat fat. Okay. That okay. They don't understand how their fuel works and they overeat fat and they just pound the fat. So they're not understanding the idea that it's what you're taking out, right? The sugars, it's not what you're adding in. And, and so many people I see and read and groups and they're all about, I haven't hit my fat macro. I have to eat like two tablespoons of butter before I go to bed. And it's just like, 
No. Yeah. Or they're not hungry, but they have to meet this fat macro. So first of all, you no eating when you're not hungry. And yeah. also, no, you can't over, if you, you know, giving your body all that fat, that dietary fat, it's like on a silver platter. And I always say, your body's just going to kick back. It's like, thank you very much. I don't need to do any work. I'm not going to dig deep. Just bring it. Yeah. And so they're overeating all this fat and they just, they don't understand. I just was, I just posted something in a group this morning about this because <laughs> somebody was like, I can't, I don't think I can do keto. I don't think I can eat all that fat. I'm like, don't eat all the fat. You know? Like, yeah. I, you um, know, so there, this there's, is where I see the problem. So, so Rob Wolf has a product called Element, which oh, is a salt. Have you heard of that it? Hot, I have a hot chocolate every night. Yeah. So the element salts are really great. It might add water weight on your scale if you use it, but, but it's, it's really good because one of the things that happens when you're low carb is you, you may have some electrolyte deficiencies, especially, especially certain types of salts. And so it's, it's sodium chloride plus some magnesium plus a little potassium. And, and it's really very, very good. But I read one of his articles and, and it was one of this was a guest blogger on his blog site and it was so good and it made everything make sense to me. And, and if this is a take home message for anybody, you know, who's on the podcast today, protein is a goal. Carbs are a limit, fat is a lever. And when you can see it that way, right? So you have, you want to try and hit your protein goals, whatever you're, you know, whoever you're working with tells you to do. You want to make sure you keep your carbs at a certain place, depending. And then fat is your lever for calories. And when you, when you can do that, you know, and this may be enough for some people who are listening to this podcast, you you may, you may make, be able to now, but if you need more accountability, then you want to come into the 28 day mental belly challenge or come back to Amy and, and get some help because sometimes we can know what to do and we don't do it. And the reason for that is human nature and because behavior change is hard and our brains want to continue to do the same things over and over and over. And so it's super important for us if we're, if we're going to make a change to make sure that we're getting the right support. I refer to this sort of as that knowledge versus know-how. <laughs> Great. So yeah. There's everybody is a professional at dieting. Everybody knows the rules. Everybody can tell you the intricacies of any diet. So that's, knowledge but the know-how is how you make those that knowledge work for your body (laughs) and it really comes down like you were saying to those small habit changes but it comes down to this think feel act cycle so you Mm. have to understand that every action you take is coming from a thought you had that created a feeling and then you react to that so you have to kind of be able to back up and that's what and that's probably what you do in meno belly but certainly what i do with clients is we, you know, this is where we start working on the know-how. So that's why we mm-hmm. start talking about, well, how'd you feel when you did that? What was the data? What do you, you know, how, what's your body doing? And then what were you thinking when you did that? Where, you know, what were the circumstances? You know, where were you? Who were you with? What were you thinking? And you start to have to like take a beat and just be like, oh, wait a second. Am I actually hungry? What am I thinking? So, and it's a hard place to get to. But, and I think that's, so that's a big reason people will fail because they don't actually know how to dig in and look at those habits that are just, you know, their body's doing automatically. And then also I think that people don't understand sugars. So I always, everybody I talk to, I don't eat, I I don't eat a lot of sugar. I'm low sugar, but Mm -hmm. they like to have their oatmeal with their banana and their fruit smoothie. And then they also snack on popcorn and they, you know, but it, it, so they don't know where the sugars come from. So that's a big learning place. I think a lot of people need is to understand. So I'm not talking about the obvious sugars. I'm talking about the sneaky sugars. So yeah. the obvious sugars are your ice cream and your Snickers bars and all that nonsense. But n- nobody eats that these days. Hardly anybody's eating that regularly. So yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think that's really important to realize that food we eat will turn into sugar if it's primarily carbs, you know, so your breads and, and grains and, and those sorts of things. And I think there's also an opportunity here to talk about, and, you know, this is the, the, the life's work of my friend, Dr. Kate Shanahan, and that is vegetable oil, seed oils. And in our last podcast together, we talked about how there is a whole industry that's built around how to make soybean oil safer for humans. Oh, gosh. And so, again, the seed oils, if there's any, it, even if all you, if you eat, you know, the, the average number, amount of sugar that Americans eat, which is about 77 pounds per year, if you do nothing else but stop eating fried food out, it, out in a restaurant and stop using things like canola corn, uh, cotton seeds, safflower, soy, and soybean oils in your home, then you are ahead of the curve in terms of your health. Yes. And, and Kate is actually convinced that diabetes is related to seed oil consumption more than anything else. And so I, I think she's, I think she's working on that now. So when it comes to weight loss, and this is, this is so controversial because we're Beachbody wants us to believe that, that it's all about exercise. Let's oh, talk yeah. about, let's talk about the role that exercise plays when it comes to weight loss. Right. So I, I exercise is a tier two for me, for sure. It's always, we start with the diet. And then exercise is kind of that ice. It's, I was going to say icing on the cake, but that's a bad uh, <laughs> analogy. So yeah. it's that secret sauce, so to speak. So it's always going to be food first because I tell everybody, your body will, like you were saying, your body was going to want to move. It's going to want to exercise when it's feeling like it has the right amount of fuel and it's got, you know, it will actually ask you to get up and start moving. So if you're already high stress or what you're doing to your body is creating stress, so the systemic stress, exercise is a stressor. So mm-hmm. if you're going to add that on top, you're again, maybe having this going to cause this cortisol issue where you have your high cortisol. So you're, again, putting yourself into body fat burn blockage. So the exercise is second. It's, I, it is not a weight. To me, it's not a weight loss tool. It's a health tool. It's a weight maintenance tool, but it's not a weight loss tool. And, and I, I, I struggle with people because they try to get in there and they're trying to do like, P90X or insanity from Beachbody. And there, I had this one woman and she just, she was young and she's like, I just had my second baby and I'm gaining weight. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she was doing insanity. And mm-hmm. I went, I said, no exercise for a month. And she lost like 15 pounds. I mean, she's, I mean, again, she was young, but it was, she yeah, well, it's a lot easier down. to lose weight when you're young because right, you don't exactly, have the same hormonal exactly. problems. But let me, let me just, I did. So I did that. I, I thought that it was exercise. And and my very first experience with weight loss was in 2001 when I did uh, I did Body for Life. And I followed everything I to, love body to for a life. T. Body for Life's great. I followed everything to a T. I followed the program. And in three and I entered the contest. So because it was a challenge. And I in three months, not only did I shrink. I, I don't even know how much weight I lost. I probably lost about 30 pounds. I got toned, all right? And so I thought, okay, challenges really work. And then I went off to surgical residency and it all went to shit and I started smoking again. Um, <laughs> and that's a, that's a story for another day. But the point is, is that what I did was I coupled in my mind, right? I coupled exercise, weight loss, because I'd never really exercised before. I mean, I was a runner in high school a little bit, but I was never super sporty and I didn't understand diet. And where I grew up, I mean, I grew up in farmland in Washington State. And, you know, there was a lot of, it just, it was a different time and the food wasn't full of crap. 
And so it's, it's really interesting because when I wanted to, so, so I graduate my surgical residency, I go on to start my practice and I get that up and it starts to hum. And then I'm like, I got to lose some weight. I can't stand myself. You know, I was like 220 pounds and I said, okay, well, let me do, I'll do P90X. You know, somebody said that was good. That too. So I did, I did P90X and I was like, I'm not losing weight. And then I did insanity. And not only did I like hurt my shoulder, I got a frozen shoulder out of it because it's really hard. I didn't really lose much weight. And I was like, okay, something, something's missing. And I'm telling y'all, if, if I can help you shorten the gap right now, the one thing I can tell you is get your diet under control first. And then, and, and I'm telling you, I heard this over and over and over. And it took me 15 years to really hear it. And, you know, so if I can help anyone <laughs> join the challenge, <laughs> that's, that's probably the best way to do it. But yeah, yeah. Just so, I, And I say, if you, if you must, then please just walk, just get out and walk. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Walking is probably the best thing you can do. And then, you know, in our challenge, we talk about 1%, 1%, 1%, you know, I mean, yep. think about it. If all you do is 1% every week, that's six seconds. If you're doing a 10 minute walk, all you have to do is add six seconds to your walk. And so it, it, 1% improvements feel like nothing, but they're cumulative. And so, so I, I had a, a client yesterday um, who's new and she's very, she's had some tragedy in her life. So a lot of emotional eating mm. and, and she doesn't eat cookies and she doesn't eat Snickers bars. She eats creamy things like macaroni mm. and cheese and all these creamy. She likes yeah. Yeah. And so unlike my typical clients, we just start working on the sugars with her yesterday. I said, okay, let's work on some creamy foods for you. Let's work on something. Let's make it, like you said, that little 1% change. Let's go from what you're eating now, which is the worst, to something that's creamy and delicious, but we were using different ingredients. It's so yeah. it's better. Let's just make that little shift, you know, because again, that's going to help bring your metabolic hormones into balance. It's going to help lessen that need for those foods but it's just this little shift let's just start so instead of macaroni and cheese i sent her this super yummy recipe for you know macaroni um cauliflower mac and cheese yeah cauliflower mac and cheese is amazing right so yeah. again not my ideal recipes because they're very very high fat the pro you know the fats are high i always want recipes where proteins are higher than the fats in this case the fats are higher than the proteins but for her this is what she needs to do because she sure. was saying you know, the knowledge, I know I just won't get it. I'll have a glass of water instead. And I'm like, that won't work. <laughs> I said, that sounds good, but that's not, you'll have your glass of water and then you're going to dive into the extra mac and cheese. I said, right. so no. So have your glass of water if you want to, but then have the cauliflower mac and cheese. Let's just make a tiny shift and see where that takes you. Yeah, because, you know, when it comes to weight loss, there's no one size fits all answer. And that's super no. important. And we say that, you know, this, when it comes to managing your menopause, there's no one size fits all answer because each of us is unique. And it, I think it's super important for us to realize that food, and this is why there's so much belief around food, is that we learn everything, everything about everything when we're children. And we learn it from our parents and we, our relationship with food happens when we're children. And if food is a big reward, if, if because you acted a certain way when you were a child, you got that mac and cheese or you got that lollipop and you see it all the time. I mean, you know, if, if once you start to see this awareness, once you get the awareness around food, you start to see, you know, especially in our age with, with, with our kids, uh, having kids now. Uh, My daughter how, just went into labor at one o'clock this morning. Oh, congratulations. I've been yes. up since one. <laughs> wow. So yeah, you get, is this your first time? 
No, this, yeah. I had to get up because I had to go to her house to stay with the three-year-old. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah so, so, you know, we, we tend to reward our children with food and the, the question then becomes how, what kind of relationship are they having with the, with food? And if you really want to see how to build a good relationship with food, watch the French. The French teach children to sit and eat and they eat like good food and they, they taste it. And so these are, these are all really important things. Um, but I think we're running out of time. And so, you know, I want to know from you, was there anything that you were hoping to share that we didn't get to? Well, I just wanted to add quickly to the last thing you just said, because yeah. my grandson, my daughter, I'm so proud. My kids actually listen. So my mm -hmm. daughter's raising him so differently than I raised my kids, you know, with chicken nuggets and all that garbage. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I have always stressed now is don't eat until you're hungry. And if you watch kids, they don't wake up hungry. They, right. you, we're trying to shove breakfast into them. They're not hungry. They need time to like, and most grownups, if you follow your hunger, you really aren't hungry when you wake up in the morning. Yeah. So this leads us back into this natural intermittent fasting. Again, something that is a second tier because you want your body to naturally start to fast. You don't want to ever force a fast. But if you we go back to being children and watching how they eat and how they move, their appetite is also, you know, regulated and we kind of mess it up and we get them eating on a schedule and having snacks and they don't necessarily need that. Yeah. Um, so 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 you're saying that if we just pay attention to our hunger hormones or not our hunger hormones, but our hunger cues, that intermittent fasting can be really easy. It happens. Well, the problem is no, most people aren't in touch with their hunger cues anymore. So they right. don't even know what it feels like to be hungry or what, it, you know, because we're never really hungry. We never get to that place. Everyone's afraid to be hungry. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I have to start with people, even though I want them to eat two or three meals a day, sometimes I have to start and have them eat you know, four or five meals a day, little meals, just so they can start to feel hungry again. Mm. So they can go, oh, yeah, oh, I, and start to get your, it's hard. Yeah, get yeah. We, we, well, we're, we're overfed and undernourished. That's just, that's just how it is. And, and again, that's because of the, the corporate profits. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, so food so, has no nutritional value. Yeah, right. I mean, it's just, and that's why you want to go back after going to, you know, one of the fast food restaurants, you want to go back into a couple hours and get more. Well, it's because you're not feeding your cells, right? We're feeding our belly, but our mm. cells aren't getting anything. So they're just yeah. kind of like, well, keep bringing it. Bring yeah. more, bring more. Right, getting a little right. bit. So I have a question. I want to know, and you know, a lot of, a lot of these podcasts, I listen to a lot of podcasts now and they, they ask these, like everybody, the same questions at the end. And I, I don't usually do that, but, but for you, I, I want to ask this question that Terry Sidford asked me when I, when I appeared for her and it's like, what does courage mean to you? That's a really good question. I, I just, I think people who are courageous is somebody to me who kind of, I guess, does what they know or believe is right mm -hmm. for them, but in a way that's not hurting others, but they, they're not afraid to do what they want to do. Like mm -hmm. they, they, they know what's right and they know what they want to do. And, and I feel like, you know, as you age, you kind of get to this place because you start caring so much what other people think. Yeah. And I wish that I could feel the way I feel in my mid fifties, in my twenties. I wish I had that sense of like, I know what's good for me. I know what's good for my loved ones. And I don't care if you don't like it. I'm, I'm going to do what I, what's right and what I want to do. And so, and it's a shame that you have to wait till you get, you know, into your mid fifties to actually feel that way, to be like strong enough. And I don't yeah. know if that's courage, but to just stand up and be like, I'm going to do my, I'm going to do me. 
Right. I love that. And can you tell me a time when you felt really vulnerable, but you did it anyway? Oh, you mean where I, where I where, felt vulnerable? Like, I believe this thing, I'm going to do this thing and people yeah. might not like me for it. I mean, so I'm studying vulnerability right now. I'm, I'm you know, kind of going through the Brene Brown stuff and, and, you know, having, I guess, I guess the more, the, the better question more is what is something that you did, you've done in the, you know, where, where you maybe would we'll talk about, you know, vulnerability and fear are very, very common. I mean, like they're, they're really, really related. Right. So maybe kind of staying on the, on the courage thing is like, where's it, where's a place where you felt some trepidation, right? You were a little bit afraid, but you did it anyway. Sure. It's just probably tons of things and certainly lots of things related to food. Cause I definitely am not on the same page with most people. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think I joined a powerlifting gym a couple of years ago and it was terrifying because I yeah. walked in there and, and you, it was private. You had to walk in, you couldn't just call, you know, and it was a garage and, and I kind of went in and I, my Lululemon tights, you know, and I'm like, hi. And they were just looking at me like, and I, you know, I said, so-and-so told me to come in. So I dropped the name of somebody that go went there. And they, again, side eye, like, I don't know if this is right for you. And I'm like, oh, well, I, I, I really think it's what I want to do. And so he's like, well, I'll check and see if I have time to coach you. And so I let, I walked out the door and I got my car and he called me immediately. And he's like, yeah, can you come on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays at 630? And I was like, yeah, okay. So then I started doing that by myself, my husband, nobody else wanted to do it. It's just me. And it was these guys. I mean, there's like a lot of swearing and crazy music and just incredibly heavy lifts. And, and I did it and I loved it. And I haven't been in the last year. So right. I'm so sad and I missed them. What, that was what, pretty scary. Yeah, sure. What was your biggest lesson learned from, from actually going through that process? Just do it. I wanted to do it. And I don't care if they're going to give me side eye. It's like, I can be strong. You know, you yeah. don't know me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, where can people find you? It's the Simplicity of Wellness is the name of my company. That's and great. so it's the Simplicity of Wellness.com, Simplicity of Wellness on Facebook, Simplicity of Wellness on Instagram. Great. Um, but that's that's where you find me. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Amy, thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement today. It's been really, really great talking to you. I so enjoyed it. It was so nice yeah. meeting you and chatting. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life. And to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase. And we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones. And I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement.